Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. I say potato, you say potato. I say tomato, you say tomato. I see a reasonably priced seven-passenger SUV. You see a gas-guzzling climate record that can't possibly measure up to your Tesla that runs simply on sunshine and reclaimed wood. Never mind that it only fits two people in your small puppy and can only travel 12 miles before you need to plug it in. Look, we have differing views on things. I bring thoughtful and well-crafted cocktails to this discussion. Tyler thinks my drinks are feminine. Not that there's anything wrong with that, unless you're counting the excessive use of fruit and low alcohol content. And these are just, you know, shallow topics. What about topics of real substance? Where's the truth in, I don't know, talking about disciplining a child or corporate responsibility? What about our media? Should we delve into politics? And because this is PGP, where is truth in our faith? I'm Tom, along with Gabe and Josh. Let's grab another pint. You know, for someone who absolutely and constantly shows nothing but utter disdain to the singing of your co-hosts yeah. to, to just flood yeah. that introduction with singing. Tom is an affront to me personally. Yeah. Is, it, is it the first time I have sang on this episode on, on this podcast? It took us, what are, what are we on? 62 episodes, something like that. But you know what? If it was the first, and that's it most the, certainly come should up be the last. Indeed. Indeed. You guys got to tell you something. I turned 34 uh, about a week ago, and thank you. Thanks for saying happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Gabe. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you. If the gif of a large fat man in a thong dancing around with balloons and fireworks wasn't enough for you on your birthday, fine. I'll acknowledge it in front of all of our listeners. Gabe, happy belated birthday. Thanks, happy man. Happy birthday to you. you. Again. Again. Happy yeah. birthday. Uh, oh, wait, or Tom, I'm maybe sorry, it's like the rest. Wait, we should do the restaurant one. Happy, happy birthday for the. <laughs> I don't know the words that one. Sorry, Gabe. That's all you're getting. So, at any rate, thank you for the gift, Josh, and for the singing, guys. Um, for my birthday, I asked for two things. One is a uh, Memento Mori journal, which <gasps> Memento Mori is. What? Yeah. Wait, no, no, no. Okay. Yeah. This is nothing yeah. to do with what we're talking about tonight. The Memento Mori journal? That's what I'm, yeah, I'm, I swear that's what we're doing for our Lenten series. I've never bought Lent materials prior to Advent, but I picked up the Memento Mori journal. I picked up the Memento Mori book. Like we are doing Remember Your Death for Lent this, this, uh, this season. I, that was, that was my plan too, but I have to do a series on prayer, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but the journal's sick, right? So for those of you that don't know Memento Mori means remember you must die. Uh, so it's it's cool. Um, but then, so I asked for that, got that. And then I also asked for a set of long underwear, uh, both the pants and the shirt. And guys, that is the best gift I've ever gotten. I have worn these long underwear every single day since my birthday a week ago. And I have zero, zero regrets. Wait, so like just at night thing, or you're talking like during the day too? Uh, well, during like Thanksgiving, you know, I had a couple days off. And so I was, that was during the day for sure. But you know, now with work, I'm not like wearing them to work. But then uh, as soon as I get home, take those pants off, throw on those long underwear 
and it is comfort city you guys wow so yeah this segment brought to you by haynes long underwear go out and get a pair really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. but good well what are we drinking quite... tonight okay well to carry on with the singing i'll just jump right in a merry cruxmas to you merry cruxmas to you oh wait no that's happy birthday's theme isn't it I wish you a Merry Cruxmas. I wish you a Merry Cruxmas. I wish you a Merry Cruxmas and uh, Happy New Year. Whatever. Anyway, all that to say, our local brewing company, Hutton & Smith, has released their seasonal winter ale known as the Cruxmas Ale. It's got notes of vanilla, notes of cinnamon, uh, a decent body, and it's not super malty. So I have ushered in the Christmas season with a Cruxmas Ale. And for everyone listening, keep oh, Christ in nice. Christmas for crying out loud. In Cruxmas, please. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, incidentally, for my birthday, had a good friend get me a, a bottle of gin from a Detroit distillery uh, called Valentine. It may also be Valentine. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's Liberator Gin uh, because for folks who maybe don't know, during World War II, Detroit became known as the arsenal of democracy, producing the B-24 Liberator at a rate of one per hour. And so Liberator Gin salutes Rosie the Riveter and all the American workers who helped secure victory. We salute you, Spirit. Hey, on a side note, is this going to be an episode totally full of you just making uh, subtle references to the fact that you had a birthday two days ago? It is. I'm a big fan of birthdays. Actually, okay. I'm not, but neither here nor there. Okay, Tom. Um, Interesting fun fact. Uh, my grandfather flew a B-24 in World War II, flew 33 missions. The average uh, lifespan of a bomber was five missions, so 33 is pretty darn impressive. You could also go home after 25 missions, but his entire crew uh, re-upped after 25 and did eight more missions before the end of the war. Most impressively, and I think by the grace of God, uh, not a single one of their crew took one single casualty during the entire entirety of the war. And so that's pretty amazing for somebody who flew extensively over uh, Europe and Germany in particular. And so for the good listeners who cannot see, I have recently redone my office where I where I do Pine Class Preacher. And in the background, I have on my wall um, a picture of a B-24 wow. out the waist gunner uh, window of my grandfather's B-24 and also a map, a silk map of europe which my grandfather carried in his pants pocket because if they were to ever go down over water a paper map would of course disintegrate but a silk map would not and so this is a map that has all the battle lines drawn out and how they could get themselves to safety so b24 stories man that actually is that is a really good fun fact tom i mean i'm i didn't know where that was going but i'm really shocked or i'm satisfied i I really feel like you should have led with that as far as our friendship goes because You've gone up a lot more in my eyes. Hey, but all right. You know what's Big win. taking him down a notch, though, is the fact that underneath both of those pictures, framed photos and maps, is an ironing board and an iron. Because <laughs> well, we all it's know. Gotta go somewhere. <laughs> Who irons anymore? I mean, what happened to the good old days? When no one <laughs> ironed their true. clothes at all. Well, you know, big boys when they go to work. That's who irons their clothes. Um, I'm drinking water tonight. Because honestly, I just, I don't know. Just nothing's tasting good these days, guys. I don't know why I'm not in a depressed funk or anything like that. Things are on the up and up in the Tom O'Neill household. Uh, I just don't know why. So today I really needed some water. I'm drinking water tonight. There, go with that. 
it's gone with. All gone right. With the wind. All right. All right. So, friends, tonight, uh, as you may be gathered from Tom's intro, we are talking about uh, 2016's Word of the Year. That's how relevant we are. 2016's Word of the Year, uh, post-truth. Post-truth uh, was Oxford Dictionary. That's what they selected as uh, the uh, the word of the year. And uh, the dictionary defines it as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Uh, and so we will be talking about that today. Uh, and so, I don't know, we're looking forward to it. Josh has a great story about the tooth fairy. Um, Tom's got some interesting thoughts. And uh, so we're, we're going to get to that. Although I just realized we do real quick want to acknowledge some excellent texts that we brought in. Um, so first of all, we had a, a text come to us from uh, a friend. Uh, I believe it's Evan. I could be wrong, but uh, he said, nice to have PGP back. Tom, as a Vikings fan, I'm sure you know, one of their tackles is named Brian O'Neill. Is Dr. Brian moonlighting as an NFL lineman? Tom, can you confirm or deny that your brother is a Vikings lineman? Yeah, something we're really proud of in our family. You know, Brian, of course, has his PhD. And uh, while he's able to do that uh, during the football season, he has made an arrangement with uh, UW-Whitewater to play right tackle for uh, the Minnesota Vikings. And no, my brother is like 5'10 and a buck 75. So, Not him. No. But thanks for the text anyways. Nope. Love the fun. <laughs> Uh, we got another text that came in that said, uh, I'm glad to see you back. It was like a void without y'all, but today's release made my day. We're so glad to hear that. We really appreciate the encouragement and we love uh, that we get to do this. And so thanks for giving us that feedback. Super nice. And glad you uh, please tell others sucked into the black hole of pine glass preacher world. Yeah. It's just like a new void for you. Um, Where so destroy you just like dead stars and planets. It's true. Um, we're black hole of the podcasting world. All right. So moving along, uh, we got one that says, if you're having a hard time being regular for your podcast, then I might suggest taking some X lax. This will keep you regular. Thanks, Dedge. That's from Dedge. So it's good. <laughs> it's, uh, we didn't even know. We didn't even need to see who sent no, that. No, thank you, though, Dedge. We do love you. And we always appreciate your scatological humor. Um, and then we got a long one from our friend, Aaron Mueller, wonderful guy, very thoughtful. And so I can't read all of it, but let me just hit, he had four points for us. If you'll recall, uh, the most recent episode that we recorded, not the one most recent one we released, uh, was about church and going to church and whether or not it matters. Uh, so here's a few of his points. He was like, maybe I missed it, but I hear him. You mentioned apathy and pride are the tools of Satan where the person is experiencing them or the pastor in the pulpit is observing them. The evil one can use these to dissuade the importance of hearing the word and being in worship. True. Uh, it's important to gather, gather together because there's a, a shared ethos at church. True. Uh, would you argue that practice and routine are essential to professional life, which is true. Like sports, you got to practice, do your thing. Uh, so it makes sense that going to, uh, to church will, will shape us, uh, to, to be certain types of people and to engage this world in certain types of ways. Absolutely true. Virtue ethics. Great. Uh, number four, it is good to be humbled. And that's uh, certainly part of going to church, you know, especially in our tradition, we have this practice where we confess our sins every Sunday and, and ask for God's forgiveness. And so there's this posture of humility that gets developed there. Uh, all great points. And so frankly, you guys shouldn't listen to us and you should listen to Amax and he will give you better reasons to go to church than we ever would. Um, and then one last text that you guys don't all have, but uh, our good friend Andrew sent one to me because we talked about uh, how there was an episode where none of us drank any beer. 
And Andrew very graciously keeps track of all of our drinks. And he says, these are the PGP episodes where no one drinks beer. Episode 11, episode 26, and episode 60. So we've had three episodes where none of us have drank beer. Um, so thank you for keeping us in on that, Andrew. We appreciate it. You win the award I'm not for sure what, ever. I'm not sure whether to be, you know, extremely pleased that we have fans who are paying attention to us to that detail or just kind of a little freaked out. Dude, that's why we're the black hole of the podcasting world. And I think we need to propose yep. to iTunes or now the podcasting app that they need to have a new chart called the black hole of recorded material. And we should be at the top of that. Number one, number one. But with that, before we get into the black hole of our topic tonight, uh, we're going to take a quick break in hopes that one day we get a sponsor and uh, we'll see you on the other side <laughs> with a great story about the tooth fairy. You know, to bring us back, there's nothing better than crushing a presumed reality of your six-year-old son. <laughs> nothing better? Nothing better. <laughs> you need to find new ways to entertain yourself, Josh. No, it's not for entertainment, Tom. It's all about just cutting through the, the static and the junk and the mess of life. And so I did that today, although unintentionally. So we do the whole tooth fairy thing, right? Uh, or we have at least with the kids. But usually when they get to about seven, eight, nine years old and they catch on that like, oh, the reason the tooth fairy is late by two weeks isn't because she's busy. It's because mom and dad forgot to put money under my pillow, right? So our six-year-old, he just lost his second tooth. And of course, the tooth is sitting under the pillow for two straight days. And each morning, very diligently, very faithfully, he wakes up and he tells us, man, the tooth fairy must just be so busy. Well, it's not because she's busy. It's because mom and dad don't carry cash, all right? This is literally one of those problems, not just for millennials, but for anyone living in the year 2019 and soon to be 2020, all right? Cash, no one has it in their wallets. We use cards, we use Apple Pay, PayPal, you know, no, no checks, no cash. So I get some cash back after I go to Walmart uh, two days ago, and this morning I'm like, oh, this will be a great idea. I'm going to go up there before we leave for school, pull the tooth, slip the money under the pillow. That way, when he gets home, oh, crazy, the tooth fairy came while we were at school. It's just like when the tooth fairy comes at night, right? Tom, I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, sure, but no, the tooth fairy has never come during school. Uh, debatable, debatable. The tooth fairy comes when the tooth fairy can make it, okay? So we get home. He goes up there. He gets, he's like, this is the craziest thing. The tooth fairy came while we were at school and I'm like, man, that's nuts. She really was super busy. And then I just couldn't, I just couldn't keep pretending anymore. I'm like, Silas, I'm so sorry. I said, I need to tell you something. So I grab his little cheeks and I say, the tooth fairy isn't real. Me and your mom take your teeth and put money under your pillow. And he's like, tell me the truth. No, you don't. 
tell me the truth. And I say, and, and both my older girls are like, he's telling the truth, Silas. Like, dad is not lying. It's mommy and daddy. There is no tooth fairy. And he keeps looking at me, right? He wants to believe that there is still a tooth fairy, even though all the evidence points against it. What I'm actually saying to him contradicts it. And yet, here is the six-year-old mind wanting to deny the reality of the situation and wants to believe his truth instead of the real truth of the situation that we take the teeth and then we give him money. The conclusion of the story after about an hour of debating with him was this. So dad, when I lose more teeth, I just give you the tooth and you give me money? And I said, yes. And that was that. No tears. So did he... Did he then also have a crisis of faith? Was he like, so is Jesus real too? Been lying to me about that? No, thankfully, because I thought he was going to ask about Santa. You know what I'm saying? Because he's still on the Santa train uh, and, and all the other mythical uh, characters of, of uh, make-believe world. So no, he, he didn't get to that. M- most certainly did not get to uh, to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Oh, good. Yeah, just wait. He's going to be pondering that, and two weeks from now, he's going to come up to you, and that's what it's going to be. That's fine. And when he wants to, I'm going to hand him Chemnitz, Chemnitz's uh, Two Natures of Christ and maybe Peepcorn's uh, or Peeper's Dogmatics, and he can read on C, okay, who is the second person in the Trinity? Mm, that's if so he, good. If he can make it through three volumes of German theology, then good for him. Well, that's enough to make anyone an atheist, but... Uh... So, <laughs> so this situation... <laughs> This situation reminds me a lot about something that's happening right now. And I'll I'll just warn the listeners, we're going to get political for just a second, and then we're going to hopefully steer away from it because we don't want this to be a, oh, great, here they go on a liberal bent again. Okay? So we have a president right now who, uh, in his term, has said some crazy things, um, has made proclamations that we just simply know to be not true. He says he has the the, the largest uh, crowd at an inaugural speech ever. And then photos will absolutely show that it wasn't. And like, he'll say, oh, I was responsible for this. And he, and he really wasn't because it's shown that that was actually on the upswing already before he was even elected or, you know, whatever. And so far, things have been, most of the things have been pretty, I don't know, small. It, it, it doesn't really matter if he had the b- biggest crowd or not. It has no bearing on anything, right? But now we're at a place of impeachment. And whether you're on the left or the right of this, there are lots of accusations being thrown back and forth. And the thing that I find interesting is that, you know, at least from my point, I see um, that there's a transcript there. And there are a number of people who absolutely say that there was a quid pro quo, that he said the words, you need to look at Biden and uh, and if you don't, I'm going to withhold money. And, and it's pretty clear. But you have people on the Republican side saying, well, that's certainly inappropriate, but uh, I, I, I don't see how that's impeachable. I don't think I don't see how that's against the law when it's it's really fairly clear. But then, of course, we have people on the left who are saying all sorts of things which are very murky at best. And they're putting it up there as gospel truth. And so. It's so fascinating to me how um, where these things are of of high importance uh, that there is, I would say, absolutely no way that we will ever have absolute truth. I mean, can you agree? But what does Mitt Romney say? <laughs> what does he <laughs> That's say? what I'm curious about. Right. And, and, or Sarah Palin. Where's she been? Can <laughs> we get Sarah Palin to weigh in on this? Please, someone. 
So, you know, Tom, uh, you guys made fun of me because I read the definition <laughs> of post-truth from the Oxford Dictionary. No, Tom uh, made fun of you. I did not. Thank you. Okay. But I did if that because they do this word of the year. Start it with Oxford's Dictionary is the definition, says the definition of this is that. No, that, that is true. That is true. All right. This is not like a, a I don't know, freshman undergrad term paper. Okay. I, I get that. But the reason I did that is because is because Oxford Dictionary every year picks a word of the year. And this was their 2016 word of the year. And so I read their definition because they're the ones that were like, this is it. This is our deal. It's interesting. I'm reading this article right now on um, where, where the dictionary's president, Casper Grotwald, uh, explains like why they did it. And I think this, this gets at what you're talking about, Tom, in terms of like, you have this thing where it seems pretty clear with the facts like that a quid pro quo is in place. And yet both sides are like doing weird things with the facts and not just kind of letting truth be truth. Uh, and so at any rate, Rotwall writes this. It's not surprising that our choice reflect when we talked about this in 2016, a year dominated by highly charged political and social discourse. Fueled by the rise of social media as a news source and a growing distrust of facts offered up by the establishment, post-truth as a concept has been finding its linguistic footing for some time. So what I think is interesting about that quote is there's two reasons for post-truth, according to, to Grothwall. One is the rise of social media as a news source. And that one makes sense, right? That one's kind of like, yeah, of course, you know, your, your crazy uncle posts something and then you look into the source and it's like this super biased website that doesn't do any fact checking. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. Uh, and then, but so that one makes sense. But the other one, though, that I think is more interesting is a growing distrust of facts offered up by, quote, the establishment. Mm -hmm. That there's, that it's not just a distrust of things that are inherently distrustful, but it's a distrust of things that have historically been bedrocks of trust for truth. Yeah, I mean, I, I've probably said this a bunch of times before, and and I want to be really clear here. We're, we're talking about both sides here. It's just the impeachment process is happening right now. And so, of course, there's a little bit more focus on the Republican side of things. But I've lamented this before about our media, which is supposed to be that bedrock, right. it's supposed to be our source of truth, um, is no longer that. If you read Fox News, if you read CNN, you, you will see things. They, they, will, they will write things like, our president, who of course is a terrible person, said this today, you know, and they, they interject opinion and, and things that are not fact. We have people like Brian Williams, who was a trusted news source until he made up things about his time in Iraq. And so, yeah. you know, it, who, who can we go to at this point to find actual truth about the things that matter in our world right now? Uh, Mitt Romney well, and then Sarah you, Palin. I told well, you this. Well, besides Mitt Romney and Sarah Palin, thank you, Josh, for that. That's very important. <laughs> um, but besides those two obvious <laughs> candidates, <laughs> um, no, I mean, so so there's not only the media, but but I think there's also a distrust. So distrust of media, check. But then there's a distrust of the academy, uh, right? So normally people be like, hey, go to the university, and that's where you learn what's true and false about the world, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, that's so kind of filled with deconstructionism, which in one sense is a good thing. But in another sense, people don't know how to handle that. And so we, we don't know what to trust coming out of uh at the the academy right now because that seems to always have a particular bent or bias and then let's say someone says all right well then the government well we do you keep saying academy and you're trying to say academia 
academia. You can say either one. Oh, because every time you say academy, I'm like, what? But but the Oscars, they're, you know. Oh, I guess you're right. Okay, you're right. Academia. We can say that. I mean, I don't think you're right, but we can say academia to ease your conscience. Um, I think I'm right. So speaking of easing consciences, uh, so, all right, so we don't trust media. We don't trust academia. Uh, we... You are we on the government. Trust, you are not trusting the government. We don't trust the government. Uh, we we don't trust Hollywood. We don't trust uh, the church. And so that's the last one, right? We don't trust the church. Josh, and, I think you could probably chime in on whether we trust our law enforcement or not. Wow. Was that like a setup? No, I'm or, just I'm just saying you. I would lump them the in with government. I would lump them in with government. Okay, I'm just saying of the three of us, you probably deal with that topic more than we do. That's true. But I feel like you were trying to throw me under the bus, Tom, with distrust. No, I was trying to set you up as a subject matter expert on it. That's no, okay. it's not Big that I deal. don't trust law enforcement. I just don't trust white people. Okay. Especially in positions of power. Okay, Josh, let's... Josh is white. Uh, yes, and in a position of power. I don't trust myself. I'm fully, actually, I'm fully aware actually, and willing to admit that. To be honest, Josh, that's it. That's actually, in one sense, I think a step forward. Like, I don't know how far we're going to go, but like, that's me in terms of like saying, how do we handle post-truth? Like, one of the first things is to recognize our own prejudices, our own biases, and the own way, like the ways in which we will beef it up. Uh, because, mm -hmm. you know, I was going to talk about, but I, I glitched out on you guys, but uh, I was going to talk about like in the church, there's a reason for distrust is like, you can read the news headlines and like, leaders fall. And so then it's like, well, why should we listen to these idiots who don't even live up to what they're telling other people to do? Right. So it makes sense. I get it. Uh, and so part of it is, is for, for folks and this is for everyone though, not just necessarily leaders in the church or other organizations, but for all of us to just recognize like our ability to interpret the world is not neutral. Like none of us are just objectively observing things. We're all observing things through a lens. Uh, and so it's pretty hard for, for us to even, I don't know, acknowledge what we're perceiving to be true. So then and, doesn't that skew the lens of, or not the lens, but doesn't that skew then any potential identification, definition, acknowledgement of, of truth then at all? So we really, it's not that we're living in a post-truth world, but we've just finally come to that realization. Is that what you're saying? Well... Yes and no. I mean, I think there's a helpful way to do that. And then there's the way we're doing it right now. Um, so so there's what I would call a we're always so helpful. Right. No. So there's what I would call an epistemic humility. All right. So like or uh, probably a better way to put it would be epistemological humility. Right. So epistemology, which is like the philosophical term for how do we know things like the theory of knowledge? It's a big word. Uh, it's a big word. OK, but like. Um, so epistemological humility would be to say, I can't know everything. I don't know everything. I have inherent bias. And so that's just saying, that's just acknowledging my humanity and yet still seeking things that I think are objectively true in the world. And so I think there's a place for us as a society to be humbled. I mean, that's where even Josh, you and I were talking about this before we were quote unquote on air, uh, but about like history where it's like, you know, Western history, in many ways, we learn it as this sort of, I mean, to use broad general strokes, like, hey, America's great and freedom and awesome. And I honestly, I do think there's aspects of that that are quite true. Um, and yet we ignore the sort of like 
horrific things that were done to indigenous peoples. And like, that's just true too. And that's a reality that we just sort of overlook. And so there's a way in which we can have epistemological humility and say like, hey, let's own up to some of that and realize that we've been reading the world through a slanted lens. And that's a healthy thing. But to just say, well, let's burn it all down. Nothing's really true. Who knows? Like, that's dumb. And that's where I feel like we are. So just say, whenever I find a truth that's uncomfortable to me, I just pretend like it's not true. That's well, dumb. Oh, yes. Yes, that is dumb. And a, a case in point, not to where I concluded with that sentiment, but where I went to the other end of the spectrum and was wanting to just sit with the tension. And I, I shared this with you guys just earlier. Like, we were reading our uh, our Advent devotional, since it is the season of Advent, not mm. only in the Woodrow House, but in all of Christendom, I would hope. Uh, mm. And one day in the world, when Jesus comes back. Well, actually, that's not true, because, well, anyway. If you know your church history, and you know the future coming of Christ the King, then there will be no need for Advent anymore, because the second Advent will happen. Okay, besides what I'm preaching on for Sunday, we were doing our Advent devotionals uh, three days late, and we were catching up, and we used this one written by Ann Voskamp. Okay, she's a great author. She's very popular in, in the Christian uh, literature world, um, and my wife really likes this Advent calendar, and so we're doing it, and I'm sitting there on the stairs— my kids are literally very, very enraptured by the stories and the pictures. It's great, okay? I, I think it is formative and very, very helpful. And while she's reading, you know, there are some things that are written like, oh, man, God uh, took God took on humanity. Or no, she didn't say that God took on humanity. God became so small in the incarnation that he could live in your heart. You know, and part of that made me gag. But then the art of, the other part made me reconsider that in perhaps a more theologically astute way and be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, our participation and coherence in the body of Christ or like this mystical union that every believer has in the body of Christ, not just as the church, but literally in Christ himself through faith, that's really outlandish. Like it's implausible yeah. to believe that. It just doesn't make sense. And yet, I believe it to be true, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And there's so many other things when we come to conversations around faith and around scripture and around the Bible. Is like there are so many things that just don't make any kind of logistical sense, pragmatic sense. Uh, when when we look at the world around us through our lived experiences, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That it's like so. Then why? How could I actually accept this as true? Why would I believe that it is true? Why would I? Why would I actually trust that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that he's being serious, and I acknowledge that in terms of faith? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, that reminds me of uh, actually that book you had me read, Josh, that was super good. It was that guy who basically, like, takes Kierkegaard to the New Testament. Um, I can't remember the name of the book. Encountering Jesus, Encountering Scripture. Ooh, and, nice. um, and in that book, he talks about, like, the sort of, you know, to what you're saying, what we might call the impossibility of faith that like, man, some of this stuff, it just feels like, really, like we believe that. And, and I do. And again, please, good listener, we, we do believe this. And, and I don't think we're idiots, but it, it, it does. And kind of the point in the book and Kierkegaard's point in many ways is like, it does come down to uh, what Kierkegaard would call like the, the encounter, um, where like you, you, 
encounter the person of Jesus and then it all like happens, like it clicks. And so there, there is something to that. And I realize that's a very subjective way of saying like, and that's why it's true. Um, you know, I think there's certainly an apologetics road we could go that we're not going to today. But to get us back to this post-truth thing, I, I do think that's maybe a helpful way to think about it, that there's something to this, like, all right, if we have epistemological humility that we realize like, hey, I can't know everything. I just don't. I have, I have biases. I have uh, a lens of interpretation that I'm seeing this world through just all of us do great okay then i encounter certain realities and so for those of us that are christians we'd say one of the realities i've encountered is the resurrected jesus uh and so upon encountering him things don't stay the same and so i end up following him and believing these things that maybe look crazy to the outside world but like i'm just compelled to do it which incidentally is i think is actually lends some credibility uh which maybe another conversation for another time but um at any rate how does that how does that help us? And maybe it doesn't. But I guess the question I would think of is how does that help us as we seek to engage truth uh, in our world right now? As I like go through my Facebook feed and I see, you know, some dude who I know from, you know, 30 years ago in high school who like 30 years ago, 15 years ago in high school, who posts like this random conspiracy and is like, look, this is true. Look at this. How are we missing this? And then you look at the website and it's like, all right, well, this is obviously some dude who's got some crazy bias and an ax to grind. Like how does, how does that sort of personalization of truth help us or doesn't it? Well, let me throw this out there. Perhaps one potential Avenue is to look at it via the via negativa. Go on. Come on. Oh, yeah. That's another big word. I'm trying to compete with Gabe, the PhD philosopher. Okay. It's a master's. I'm master's not, of I, philosophy. Okay. I'm a master so of philosophy okay, in training, you. apprenticing with Da Vinci himself or Hume or Kant or Locke <laughs> or Hobbes or, I mean, whoever Look at else. You, buddy. Are you Ayo, Jamie Smith. Let's oh, see. Literally Who reading off Dawkins. the Google list. Who else right can now? I anyway, I'm, I'm done name dropping. All right, guys. I'm, I'm done tooting my own horn. But if we look at it from the negative perspective, I was actually just having this conversation with uh, with someone today because tomorrow, as a matter of fact, right away in the morning, I'll be showing up to a court date for a kid who's just getting hijacked by the system and from a lot of external circumstances totally outside of his control. And in the process of dealing with trauma as a child, dealing uh, with family stuff, with law enforcement, Tom, to your point, uh, with with societal issues and just a jacked up like life uh, over the last 20 years. So many things have been offered to him as tools. I would, I would elaborate on say like tools of the truth, right? So ways to be more healthy, ways to be more mm. mindful, ways to be counseled and, and, and therapies that have offered. And the person I was talking to says, you know what though, you know, what's been missing. And I really feel like is the linchpin in all this. It's the spiritual component. Like it's, it's Jesus. And she, she didn't say it necessarily in those words, but I said, yeah, see, that's the point, right? We almost look at all the other avenues, all the other opportunities that seem more firm, seem more secure, seem more established, even maybe feel more truthful, right? Because we're able to touch and experience them um, in, in, in everyday encounters and experiences um, and stuff like that. Yet at the same time, that mysteriously missing piece of the puzzle when it comes to the truth 
is ambiguous. It's filled with tension. It's filled with paradox. Mm, that's and good. that's why to, to back you up, Gabe is like, that's why I think the leap of faith even makes it more compelling. Right. Yeah, because exactly. you can't exactly. just point to it and be like, Oh yeah, this is it. Go do this, you know, therapy or follow this model or engage in this lifestyle and boom, everything will be solved. Right. Cause there's still something lacking, still something yes. missing. still something you'll encounter that you're like, man, there's got to be more to this. And I would say that that's that greater T truth that we're talking about is it's just beyond our grasp, except for through the lens of a trusting or faith filled relationship with this one who, who we have to acknowledge as mysterious and ambiguous in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the language here that I like would be messy, um, that, that there, that truth is messy. You know I mean? And like, I guess that's a little bit of a cliche, but like, it's also, I think true that, that if something is overly simplistic, overly easy, it's a silver bullet. Like we should be suspicious of that. Like, I, I just don't think anything in life works that way. And so it does make sense that God wouldn't work that way. Or even um, actually explainable. Yeah. I, I forget yeah. where I, where I read this. It was a quote recently from a, a, a non-Christian scientist. And you, you might actually, one of you guys might actually know who this is from. Uh, cause it's a fairly well-known scientist, but it was basically like, is it Bill Nye, the science guy? Yeah. Oh. Man, how did you know, Tom? I was watching his YouTube channel. I'm a subscriber. Ayo. I think you probably are. I'm not. I'm not. Bill Nye annoys me. Okay. Okay. But the quote essentially, I'm not going to get it exactly right, so I'll sure. paraphrase it. It was it was something to the effect of like new scientists, right, are going to uh are going to see the world basically scientifically. Something to be proven, something that's actually like diagnosable. But a well-experienced scientist is going to realize that there's something else behind it, that we can't actually prove yeah. everything to be true, that we can't actually, you know, put the scientific model to the test for every single thing. There's going to be that, that ambiguity and that mystery and, and almost a necessary acknowledgement. It didn't say of like a creator, right. Or even of the Christian God or the creation, Christian creative uh, narrative, creation narrative. But it, it was acknowledging like the more wise we get to our finitude and to our inability to nail down the truth, we then have to look outside of ourselves into something greater, bigger, more divine than ourselves to actually answer some of these questions for us. Or at least where we can say, you know, I don't need the answer, but I know that I'm going to dump like these, these, these questions onto you and, or onto God, however you want to say it. And the answers will, will exist there or lie there. Yeah. So let me just jump in here because I uh, Gabe, you're, you're getting your masters in mm -hmm. philosophy and both of you have spent Thank a you. lot of time on these types of subjects and studying them and things like that. And I'm thinking uh, like hope maybe some of our listeners are, I've said, I Gabe, I heard you say, you know, this thing about, about faith is messy and, and the truth is, is messy and, and God is um, maybe indescribable to a point and mysterious enough where we'll never figure out that, that ultimate truth about that and things like that. And on the other hand, I have sat through dozens of sermons where we talked about, we said it earlier, Christ is the way, the truth, the life. Uh, the simple truth is this, that, you know, it, our faith is simple at some point, and and the truth of Jesus is is right there in front of us. And so, how do we how do we mesh those two kind of ways of thinking? That's why we're Lutheran, Tom. 
paradox. Oh, great. Paradox. Well, that, that really is. Yeah. Like on the one hand, so yeah, mm-hmm. but it, it's my it's my source of greatest frustration with with our theology at times. Then, well, See, so I find I think, it is my greatest source of comfort. Gabe, what yeah. were you going to say? Well, so yeah, if you don't mind, I, I think part of it is the medium, right? So, like, preaching is a specific medium. It's a it's a performative act that is trying to do something. Like, like so so it's it's trying to do something to the hearer. That like I'm like as a preacher when I speak to you, Tom. Like, mm-hmm. I want you to uh, I don't know put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, like that's what I want yeah. to do. Like I'm aiming to do that. And so, in one sense, it maybe could be, and, and there's probably room for this. We probably need more balance this way, and it could be helpful to be like, but boy, it's messy to do that. Okay, there, there's yeah. probably room for that. Yeah. And at the same time, that's not the end goal of that medium. That's maybe not the appropriate place to get into this. Whereas a podcast with two of my best friends and drinking beer at 1130 at night, that's a good place for us to explore this medium and hopefully help other people explore this medium and yet still do that saying, and we still land with Jesus. So I think, so yeah. one, well, that's yeah. a because of, I mean, that's the medium of life, isn't it? Yeah. Whether you're having this conversation at 830 AM over a cup of coffee uh, Tom, like you are want to use around the water cooler at work because that's what corporate people do apparently is stand around water coolers and talk. When or, we're not climbing ladders. <laughs> or in uh, a podcast like this, I mean, is is really – and that's why I said it, it gives me great com- – I know it's your frustration. I want to hear you out on that. But for me, Paradox gr- gives me great comfort because I don't have to furnish the tr- the absolute truth, mm-hmm. right? right? I don't have to furnish right. all the answers. I can say – Man, this is crazy. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Anyone who's in me will will bear fruit. And then I can look at my own life and say, well, what about the times I didn't bear fruit? Does that mean that Jesus is a liar? Does that mean this isn't the truth? Does this mean I'm falling short? Oh, no. That just means, to Gabe's point, this is messy. And there is fruit to be born, but it might not always look like what I'm expecting, anticipating, or even desiring. You know what I mean? And for me, that provides comfort because I'm like, okay, I'm cool with the tension. I'm cool with the ambiguity and the paradox. That 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 leaves room for my faith to really be in a trusting relationship versus a domineering one or a demanding one. Yeah, no. So I'm I'm good with that part because, and I think to to your point, what you, you just said, Josh, and to your earlier point, Gabe, of like, there's probably room in sermons because I feel like there's a lot of sermons that are pretty Pollyanna, you know, I mean, it's just puppies and rainbows. Jesus loves you. Boom. And to your points, like this isn't how life is. Life is messy and things like that. Where I get a little frustrated is where we take true. I'll use this term truths of the Bible or things like that. And we kind of just present them without any explanation, like, Hey, suffering's great. And because it is, and then we, yeah. And then we just move on from that. Yeah. And I was like, but, but why, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, because, you know, I I don't have a lot of really great examples, but I hear one almost every Sunday where we just say something that is so contrary to everyday typical life or what we think we know about God. And it's just presented as fact. And it makes zero sense whatsoever. Yeah, that's called bad preaching. So (laughs) on the one hand, Josh, you're right. On the other hand, I want to float this your way, Tom, Uh, because I do get what you're saying. And yet again, I think that's actually one of the um, man. What's what, what's the way to put this? That's one of the most like provocative things we do as church is we say, "Hey, 
in the midst of the, the poop of the world, we hold out this hope that something bigger is happening. We hold out this like audacious, audacious, uh, audacious, uh, like audacity at sometimes seemingly illogical, crazy hope that this is not all there is and that, and that there's joy to be found and that love is real and Kumbaya. Like, I mean, and honestly, like there's something to that that says like, man, this seems kind of like nonsense. And it's like, yeah, it can feel that way maybe. But what we're actually doing is pointing, you know, it's, it's, uh, is that Lewis's line or is it, it's Tolkien's line is we're pointing to a joy beyond the walls of the world. I'm and, about, I'm, I'm, and it's like, that's the idea to me. I'm preaching about this specifically this weekend about when we're looking, when we're caught between the first advent of Christ, the first incarnation arrival and the second advent, the, the great return, the last day, right? That this idea of to, to be clothed in Christ's righteousness or to take on the righteousness of Christ offered to humanity through the cross and the resurrection is actually an opportunity for like rest, not to have to obey any laws, to accept the rule of a king that doesn't demand anything from you, just simply to like rest from the rat race of the world, right? Yep. That all sounds good, doesn't it? And yep. yet I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to our people about who, who are who are feeling the pressures of that rat race. Like I struggle with the term, the inner turmoil of that on, on a daily basis, especially recently. And yet to your point, Gabe, I can say, yeah, but guess what? This is a greater truth. This is a, an, an eternal reality, a sublime reality in which we actually find this restfulness in the righteousness of Christ or this redemption, despite the failures that we encounter in our own lives and in the, in the lives of others on an everyday reality holding out all the while hope that upon the return of Christ, all of those things will actually disappear. Yeah. So I think to me, it, it's uh, like this, there's this, uh, I don't know, digital scholar, uh, Lisa Sil Silvestri, who just wrote an article about um, just Googled right now. No, no, no. I, I'd read it earlier and I was like, yo, I should talk about this. Uh, <laughs> I <know> who, <laughs> Who talks about this idea of of the nihilism of grace? Okay, right. So nihilism meaning like a meaningless life. It means more than that, but if if I were just for simple terms, let's just say it's that. Okay, so nihilism means like a hey, life is meaningless. Nothing is true. Nothing matters. Screw it all. And and she writes this. The good news is that waking up in the middle of the wrong dream and having the audacity to look nihilism in the eye enables a type of dignity that Caputo, a, a, a late preacher uh, calls a nihilism of grace caputo writes this nihilism not only dares to think which is the enlightenment's audacity but dares to hope more than that he adds it dares to smile smiling in this sense does not imply a lack of seriousness to the contrary a nihilism of grace takes seriously the question of what it means to be human and how to go about living well instead of seeing nihilism as symptomatic of a nietzschean crisis of faith perhaps we should consider it an opportunity to ripen our faith Seeing and confirming the void's existence and saying yes with a smile to our shared condition marks a triumph of actual faith over conceptual faith. So the idea being like in an age of post-truth, in an age of in some ways of post-meaning, 
like the sort of sometimes feeling silly at church of like, man, that just wrapped up in too nice of a freaking bow for how my life actually is. Like sometimes that seems silly, but what that's doing, I think, is proposing a nihilism of grace that acknowledges the the crap going on in our world, acknowledges the struggles, and yet smiles and says there's something beyond this. Then the question, though, so maybe to, to bring us back, because we, we got to wrap up here pretty quick, but to bring us back is like we um, uh, we're, we started with this talking about the impeachment. And then we, of course, inevitably ended up talking about preaching because that's what we do, I guess. But but we, we started talking about the impeachment and the struggle to find truth. And, and I mean, and we all wrestle with this. Like, we're just so bombarded with information. We're so bombarded with stuff that it's like, how do we know it's true? And then on top of it, we look at these institutions, we look at both sides of the aisle right now in the midst of this impeachment trial who are just claiming all sorts of things, uh, many of which don't seem to have rational backings. So how does all this that we've flapped our lips about for the past 20 minutes speak into us understanding truth and engaging the information that's like shoved down our throats every single day? Yeah, we're going to give you the answers, literally all of the answers you've ever wanted when we come back from break. We'll see you on the flip side. We're back, and I think you all know this. We probably overpromised on what we were going to do here, but uh, we're going to try to bring it all to conclusion. And one of the things when we start thinking about messiness and trying to find truth is I think about two things. One, when I'm reading news, um, I'm not just going to Fox, I'm not just going to CNN, I'm trying to find uh, the center. And trying to find a new source that will give me the truth. But when I read something, I'm also going to go and look at other sources to see if that backs up what I read. And if, if if that's true, then I can know that it's truth. I'm not just going after Facebook. I'm not just looking at news from, from Snapchat or wherever you're getting it. Apple News. TikTok. Whatever it happens to be. Oh, TikTok. Yeah. Okay. TikTok. Yep. Guaranteed. TikTok. Great news source. The other example I can think of is I was just looking uh, for wireless earbuds and I, one source, I was looking at this one pair, one source says they're really great. And one source says they're really bad. And I was like, well, one of them's got to be true, right? And so I started looking, um, really digging in. And I found about 85% of the sources that I were looking at said they were great. So that's probably where the truth leans. But, you know, the answer was out there somewhere. But I had to dig for it. And it got a little messy. And I had to find a couple different places to find it. And so... I want you guys to know, think about like, how does that apply then to how we look at our faith? What, what, do, what does this mean? Oh, that's a Lutheran question. It well, is. Well, since I've been Mr. Tension and Mr. Paradox all night, as usual, because I'm the only good Lutheran theologian in this uh, conversation. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, that's not true. Gabe is, Gabe is actually probably much, much more astute than I. Um, anyway, all that to say, to your point, Tom, this is the same thing that we encounter in the 
in, in Christian circles, in the religious conversation, is how do we discern between, you know, two pastors, two theologians, two, two authors uh, who have studied the same book, the Bible, right, and yet come to two separate conclusions? What are we to do in this journey of faith as we say, all right, we're always trying to pursue the truth. We're always pr- trying to pursue what is right and what is just and what is practical for us in our lives, in our context, in our generation. That's what God's people have been doing from day one. And so then what does it look like to say, okay, there may be competing narratives. There may be um, even adverse you know, um, points of view and perspectives. So then where, where, do, where can we land? Where can we find that middle ground that actually gives us meat to chew on, that gives us sustenance for the journey, that actually can hold us through until that day when God just solves all of our problems. Yeah, and I think that's where it then goes back to Tom's uh, example of like, what what, what were you buying? What did you look into? Wireless earbuds. Wireless earbuds. To Tom's wireless earbuds example, to be honest, like the it does come down to some digging and like some honest, like, and it, and it's tough. Like it's hard to just be like, I don't know, work hard, study hard, make that work happen. Cause you have all the time in the world, but orthodoxy. Right. But to me, it is to say like, because it does, it comes down to digging. And I think it comes down to what's your end goal. And that's often been, I don't know, my thing in conversations I'll have with people who have similar training as me, but maybe Captain land Telos. in different. That's Gabe. Captain, you know, Telos. I do love talking about the Telos. I mean, it's everything. Like to me, I will sit down with anyone who's like genuinely like their end goal is like, what's the truth? Like if if that's genuinely what you're pursuing, that to me, like let's dig into that together. And so I think to me is to not get distracted by like nonsense narratives, to not get bought into hype, to not get bought into a certain cultural moments, perception of reality, but instead seek the deeper things and seek the deeper truths and to do the diligence and the hard work of, of trying to pursue that with everything you have, that to me is like where the nugget is. And it's like, I don't know that we'll land on anything perfectly this side of eternity to Josh's point, but I think we can do pretty well if, if we, uh, if we keep that our focus. What a perfect way to conclude this Gabe, to do our due diligence, to dig deeply, which is precisely, I'm, I'm convinced at least, that both sides of the aisle are attempting to do in this impeachment inquiry. <laughs> There's no bias. Okay? There's no dog in the hunt. No. There's no horse in the race. No. no. They just want to dig deep and get to the truth for the sake of the truth. That's right. That's all they care about. You guys don't read the news, do you? Nope. No. no. All right. Hey, thanks for joining us, everybody. If you want to text us your thoughts, uh, 612-208-6258. I don't know why I still can't memorize that, but I just can't. Anyway. It's a Minnesota area. We specifically chose a Minnesota area code so you would remember, Tom. And we specifically got a Twitter handle and a Facebook page with the thought that you guys would actually update that. So, Love hey, you. we're all we're all falling down Love here. Love. All right. Have a good one. Love you guys. Tomato? Tomato? Potato? 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 Call the whole thing off. All right. Great job, gang.